What's going on, man? Yo, how you doing? Um, all right, I'm just sending some invites real quick and just tweeted this out. Yo, what's up, Spiro? Or Spotify Live, whatever it's called. You know what? My freaking internet has been wonky. I might I might reset my router real quick, my modem. Hold on. Okay. All good. I lose LC, right? What's up, Justin? How you doing? I just before we get going here, I, I, can we please get Imani Bates to Michigan? <laughs> whatever I gotta do, I will I will break laws. I will break bylaws. I'll do whatever I got to do. What can I do? I mean, you don't have to convince me. Like, I'm as a part-time Michigan basketball fan, I've convinced myself he's the savior. I know it's wrong, but I'm there for it. Yeah, I agree. He's he will lead Michigan to a 35 and two season. He will take Michigan to heights they've never seen before. You you got to get him there if you're a Michigan fan. Bend over backwards. You want Amani Bates? He will deliver the goods. Zero bad things will happen. There'll be zero controversies. He'll he'll never pout. He's going to play his ass off on defense. You won't have any problems. It's smooth sailing with the Monty Bates. So, you know, make it happen. If I can help in any way, please let me can know. I, can I go devil's advocate quickly on you, though? Can it really get worse than what it was last season for Michigan? Like, are, they're not going to be worse than a bubble team with Hunter Dickinson, even if Amani's on the team, really, will they? No, it can't get worse. It'll get much better. I told you, 35-2. and two. There'll be zero controversies. It'll be great. I mean, you guys, with all the – uh, quiet of last year, no problems at all with coaches taking swings at guys. It was very quiet on the Michigan front last year. If you bring in Imani Bates, you'll maintain that quiet. It'll be exactly what you need. He is a program stabilizer. His family is it's a salt of the earth family, no problems whatsoever. The dad in particular is extremely down to earth. He has exceeded the hype that started in high school. If anything, he's surpassed everything that we set for him. I, I think he's a, he's a lock. He, he's a star in the making, and Michigan's got to get him. Whatever you got, I, I don't care. Well, all you got to break, make it happen. Uh, to your point, it was a pretty quiet season for Michigan, although it did get a little bit loud into the second week of March, Justin. I don't know if you knew that. I don't know if you shut down uh, your fandom once the tournament hit, but, uh, you know, I, I'm not giving up on Amani, man. I know that I'm the the crazy fan right now, but, like, He's not going to go to Michigan, though, because Jawan Howard has not offered him. And if that was going to happen, it already would have. He's going to end up at, like, Louisville, and he's going to be really bad for a mediocre Louisville team. And I don't want that. Like, at least go to, like, Eastern Michigan and dominate the MAC. Look, I'll turn off the sarcasm for a second. This guy, you should give up on him because he's been a problem from day one. The, all the red flags were there. Michigan State fans, and I count myself among them, I'm sure I have some nasty tape out there for my – shows in the past we we sold our souls and talked ourselves into this for a minute and we've seen the error of our ways he's not going to change I, I it's too tough to put that toothpaste back in the tube i agree with you i don't think he's going to michigan i'm heartbroken over it to be honest uh, louisville seems like the perfect fit i mean they're just dying to vacate some wins again they haven't vacated wins in like two years so that's it's it's coming due for them they're they're about due to vacate some wins so i i could see that happening eastern I don't know if you're I mean, you're a younger guy than me, Greg, I think. That would be kind of shades of the Trey Ziegler, who was a Michigan State near commit and ended up going to play for his dad at Central. And it's like he went from a projected potential lottery pick at, at some point to just not even good enough for 
the Euro League. Like, I just feel like that'll be kind of the last we hear of Imani Bates if he ends up at Eastern. I could be wrong, but it just seems that that's where it would go. I don't think you are wrong. I uh, It's rare that those sort of blue chip talents, and you can debate if he actually is a blue chip talent or not, but like a five-star guy going to a non-Power 5 school rarely leads to team success. It may not hinder the player's ultimate goals of getting to the professional level, but yeah, I don't, I don't think they would like immediately become the best team in the MAC if Rocket Watts and Amadi Bates were both playing in Ypsilanti. It's going to be fascinating to see, though. Like I, From the, the few questions and feelers I put out to people yesterday, it sounds like of the six schools on his list, like four of them are not even recruiting Amadi Bates. Like I, I don't know that I'm blowing up someone's spot here. I'm sure he's not listening to this, but um, like Tipton literally told me that he doesn't think Imani could name DePaul's coach. And he <laughs> did the sit down interview with Imani and DePaul's on his list. So like, I, I still don't know what to expect. I feel like Louisville's the only school that actually wants him. So by default, he'll end up there. Well, I'm going to get out of the way because there's now three people in the room that are a lot smarter than me, but I'll just leave it with this. I want to throw it out there. I don't know if you guys buy the Corey Woods report on Imani Bates. I don't know if you saw it. I know Justin did about uh, him basically negatively recruiting at Memphis, telling guys not to come there. So I'll, I'll leave with that question if you guys buy that, and uh, thanks. 100% buy that. I, I don't see why not, right? It's not like it exactly went great for him. Um, I don't know. I just think that the whole thing was a dumpster fire, and the fact that as he's leaving, more stuff is coming out. I'm None of it's surprising. I mean, I think I think we've been pretty consistent on that for a while that I just didn't think it was going to be a good fit, period. And uh, I don't know. I guess maybe Louisville's a decent fit for him, new coach, you know, trying to figure it out a little bit. But I just think I think the risk reward with that is just is exactly why Michigan's really not involved. You know, like I think he would love to come to Michigan. I I don't think um, Michigan wants him to come there. So. Yeah, I mean, could you imagine if Amani had come to Michigan State and if he's already like, think about Penny Hardaway, think about his personality, and he's he's like a relaxed dude for the most part, at least relative to Izzo. Um, he's like a cooler, more relatable guy, I guess you could say in general, to some of these kids this age. And if Amani is negatively recruiting Penny. Could you imagine after like the third practice of Izzo just chewing out Imani, the the reaction that he would have? But I mean, like, yeah, we already know that it was going to go horribly, but just with every new report that comes out, it's just mind boggling of how poorly it would have gone and just how big of a a bullet Michigan State fans kind of dodged there. Plus, we would have had heard all the Izzo ruins guys. He couldn't get the best out of it. It That would have been the whole narrative. And now we're not hearing like basically anything like that right. coming. Right. It's basically like, oh, it's his camp. It's whatever. It would have been a completely different story. I, people, for whatever reason, just like to shit on Izzo for, I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, Jordan, Jordan Crawford would have been tweeting once a day during the entire Amani at MSU tenure for sure. Can I uh can I say one final thing in defense of Amani no. guys? Because I'm I think I'm the only person waving a flag still that there's a player in here. There's a player in there. Like I saw this man in the Michigan State practice gym hitting 50 consecutive shots from half court that didn't touch the rim. Like as a junior in high school, at the height that he is, like I 
Look, he went to Memphis, and Penny is a travesty even without the Amani Bates drama. But Penny made the mistake of basically catering to Amani's camp entirely and saying all offseason that Amani Bates is my point guard and the team runs through Amani Bates. And then, like, two weeks into the season, it was obvious that was a disaster, and he had to change course just to salvage Lander's Nolly's ego and make the tournament. And credit to Penny, like, he did that. He shipped Imani back to the back specialist in Michigan. But, like, I don't know. Like, if Imani had ended up in Michigan State, Tom Izzo's not doing all that bullshit, right? Like, right. It, I mean, who knows how it would have ended, but like I, I feel like in a structured system with a coach who doesn't cater everything to that horrendous advisory camp of Elgin Bates and everybody else in the circle, like who knows? There is still a player in there, which is why like I was kind of open to the idea of him if he comes to Michigan, but apparently Jawan's not after the conversations he had with those people. So, Greg, the issue is that that day that you saw him make those 50 shots at the Bretzlin uh, Auxiliary Gym, it's the fact that that's probably the last time he's taken 50 shots in the gym. So there might be a player in him, but he hasn't developed since the day he was named Gatorade National Player of the Year as a sophomore. So I, I think, yes, he definitely would have benefited from a structured environment where people didn't cater to him. But at the end of the day, there was just a learning curve there that was too steep because he kind of stopped developing and started making these spin-off schools. And uh, I, I don't know if he ever would have fully developed, period. But I think, yeah, he definitely would have had a better shot in a structured environment. Yeah, that's fair. I just think the baggage is too much there, right? Like, I agree with you that I think that there is a good ball player in there somewhere. But when you've been raised in a certain way and you've been taught to play the game in a certain way and you've, you know, basically gone through drills and you've done practices and you just always have been told that you're the golden boy, it's really hard to overcome that. And now that he's faced some adversity, you would hope that they would have tightened it up a little bit and realized like, oh, shit, like draft stock is slipping. Like my potential future is in jeopardy. Like, I need to just keep my mouth shut. I need to go find a new home and kind of resurrect a bit of my image. And that does not seem like that's what's been going on out the door. So for me, I just think that the the whole system and the organiza- organization that's around him ha- has clearly failed him, and we're seeing the results. At the end of the day, he's still, you know, from 16, 17, 18, everything's being dictated by the people around him. And now he's kind of entering that college level and it still feels like that's there. The tentacles are still very much there. So, uh, you know, if, if you're him, you got to be thinking to yourself, like I need to put myself in a position to be able to spring myself back into first round NBA consideration. And I don't, I don't know. You got to find a good landing spot and you need to just shut your mouth and put your head down and go to work. And it just doesn't seem like that's ever going to be the case. Yeah, final word I'll say on Amani. I just I I'd like to selfishly see him in a spot where it's not the Amani Bates show as the number one most important narrative for that program. And uh, looking at his final list, like I guess Michigan and Louisville would be the only two I would feel that way with. And even Louisville, I don't know who's on their roster next year. It's a first year head coach. It probably does turn into the Amani Bates circus there. So he's kind of killed his chances in a lot of ways. None of the blue bloods were after him when he hit the portal. 
it'll be fascinating to see because I, I do still hold a little bit of Imani Bates stock uh, if anybody else is selling theirs. I'll scoop it up pending where he ends up, and then we'll see what happens. But let's do a little table set real quick. This is the Multiplicity Morning Show every Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I do these on Spotify Live. Today I am graced by David Klein and Justin Pind, who I – Justin, I didn't even tell you about this. I just saw you in here, so I hope you're okay with me ambushing you and getting you up here. Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll take the back seat because this is your your and David's thing. Um, I'm kind of half doing work, um, so I I'll chime in whenever, but I don't want to hijack your guys' thing. Not hijacking at all, but no worries. David uh, and I can hopefully carry this. And shout out to Justin Spiro who popped up at the top as well. Appreciate you coming through. I just wanted to get with DK and basically reset where everything is at in the off season. I came on his podcast a couple weeks ago with Carter Elliott, uh, and we. Did a lot of panicking. We did a lot of yelling and screaming and crying. And uh, now we're two weeks later. I think we have a little bit clearer picture for Michigan State for sure of what's happening. And then on the other school down the road, there's a lot of chaos happening right now. So let's start with Michigan State. Uh, the biggest name as far as recruitments go right now is Micah Parrish. He was on campus last week, and all signs seem to point to that being an imminent commitment, although I haven't heard the latest on that. I'm a little surprised that hasn't publicly broken. DK, what are you hearing? Yeah, I guess I I have the same type of concerns. He showed on his Instagram that he went out to check out San Diego State University. Um, I think it was maybe yesterday that surfaced. So it's clear that this wasn't maybe like an all-in thing. Maybe he wanted to take his visits and that was already pre-planned and he wanted to check out a couple different schools. It, it feels like Michigan State's been completely Fort Knoxing the entire offseason. They've kept everything close to the vest, so it's been really difficult to really suss out exactly what they're doing in the portal. I mean, the season ended. They go out to vi visit Jalen Bridges, like an in-home visit. He schedules a couple official visits, ends up basically committing after his visit to Baylor. It's really hard to argue with that, given the fact that they're going to put two first-round guys on the wing into the NBA draft this year. He wants to eventually probably be an NBA player, as most kids do. So it's really hard to argue with that. And Michigan State kind of misses a chance to even get him on campus, which is unfortunate. And then it's quiet. There's some surfacing. You actually, I think, were the first person that maybe alerted me to it, and I kind of back-channeled a couple things with the interest regarding Micah Parrish. And it seemed to me like maybe that was kind of a done deal. I know Justin kind of has felt the same way, just like it's a in-state kid going to a much bigger program. The, the interest that he's seen, I guess, is San Diego State and West Virginia. I think it would be pretty odd to go to either one. I mean, San Diego state, beautiful weather. I mean, couldn't, couldn't be going wrong with, I guess, California, but if you're looking to actually like ball out, I, I think that Michigan state would make a lot more sense. Um, I put out an article today and I think, you know, there's a lot of things that I'd like generally about parish. And I guess I'm just a little surprised that they haven't just kind of closed the deal. Maybe they were waiting to the end of this May 1st, um, not to, you know, raise too much, but you'd think that, given the chatter being out there that most of the players are aware that they need to add somebody in the wing, uh, given that Max Christie is probably unlikely to return. So I'm not quite sure exactly what the plan is. I, I would have thought that this would have been closed down, you know, by the weekend, maybe I, if it lingers more than a week or two, um, maybe Michigan state didn't actually offer him and that that's not been made hundred percent clear to me. So it's, it's a little bit of, 
I don't know, bumpy road right here. I, I'd like personally to just address one of the two positions of need. The wing is there and obviously the center spot, which, you know, I posted on Twitter and had had a pretty interesting discussion how people feel about that. It feels like there's a line in the sand a little bit being drawn. So I, I would say if you address the wing need with Parrish, um, you feel much better about the direction where this is headed. But right now it just feels like a little bit like, okay, what are we doing here? You know, we're four weeks plus into the off season. We don't have an assistant coach that's been three or four weeks now since Dwayne Stevens has left. And they have gaping holes at the wing in the backup center spot or even starting center spot if you if you don't think that Kohler should be the center. Um, so it's a situation where you'd think that, you know, there would be a little bit more urgency and we haven't seen it. And um, I, th- I think it's beginning to get a little bit alarming in that regard. Yeah, when you talk about the other schools Micah Parrish is considering, like, they're fine schools. San Diego State, West Virginia have had varying levels of basketball success. Uh, you know, maybe a kid just wants to go out west. Who knows? But when you compare that to Michigan State and the minutes opportunity and the role opportunity at Michigan State, it would be pretty surprising to me if a kid who just played at Oakland, who, you know, has ties to the state, chose not to come play that role if given the opportunity. Uh, DK, you you broke down like a parish film and you mentioned the article, but uh, like what's what's your stance on the type of impact he could make immediately in year one? That's a good question. So when I was kind of just breaking down and, and when, the way that I like to view stuff when you come from like a lower mid-major program like, like Oakland, uh, lower league like the Horizon League, I think you really need to look at two different things. One, does the player that's coming up meet the physical profile of what you want to see in a power conference wing? And I think the answer to that question is yes for Parrish. He's not an explosive athlete, either vertical or laterally, but he's 6'6". He's 195 pounds. He fits the profile of what you would want on the wing. And the thing that I think excites me the most about him is his length. He probably has a plus three to four wingspan, which he utilizes extremely well on the defensive end. And so he's a guy that while he's not like explosive athletically, and if he was, he probably would have been in a power five conference to start the length that he has more than makes up for it. And I think that we have a tendency to like athleticism more than length. And I think sometimes that's maybe a, a misjudgment because I do think particularly with the college court spacing and on the wing, having length is just as good as having athleticism, if not better, it really helps shrink the court. Um, and what he saw, he, he, he ended up being an all defensive player in the horizon league. They played a zone and he was the guy at the top of the zone. Oftentimes he's picking guys up full court and putting ball pressure on, um, in the trapping. I think he's going to be extremely switchable. And so if Michigan state does end up adding him, it's a guy to me that can instantly come in, help with the rebounding, help with the defensive side of the ball. I trust the three-point shot. He's a lefty. I like the way that it comes off his hands. Um, the last 11 games of the season, he shot just under 40% on like six-plus attempts a game. So the last third of the season, he really kind of came on a little bit more offensively. I honestly think long-term and just looking in the portal what was there – there's probably three to four guys that were coming from power conferences and were transferring. They're capable of just starting and giving you 30 minutes per game. 
and the three and D guy, the guy that can come in and play defense and hit a, you know, a reasonable clip at the three point was really a pretty thin group. So if Michigan state was to add him, I know it's not a sexy type addition and some people are going to be upset that, you know, Illinois is adding Terrence Shannon OSU at the very least is offering four or five guys in the portal and trying to be a little bit more aggressive, but I actually think he would be a really good fit for what Michigan state has and the second part of the evaluation is what is his role going to be? If you come in and you ask the guy to be in the same role that he is, which is a lower usage role, he was the fourth most used guy on the Oakland roster. I think he probably would be similar in the starting lineup to what Michigan State would have. Maybe he'd even be the fifth guy. So he's not a guy that's going to need to come in and actually uh, generate a ton of looks. He's going to get some open catch and shoot stuff from the point guards. I think that he could just come in and play 25 minutes per game and give you a really solid base at that. And if he could come in and give you, say, I don't know, eight or nine points a game, like five rebounds, and he does it in an efficient manner, like that's probably better than what you got from Max Christie last season. I mean, Max was extremely inefficient and he was at like nine and four. So if you can get eight and five out of Parrish in 25 minutes, and he shoots, you know, 36, 38% from deep. I think that Michigan State fans can be pretty happy. And I think that there's a reasonable plug to the hole that's going to be left if Christie does end up departing. Justin, what do you got? Yeah, so uh, a couple of thoughts rewinding to the the timeline of not uh, decision not being uh, out yet. I think uh, there's some credence to the thought you kind of put out there, DK, about with Christie kind of having until June 1st to decide what he wants to do, there's a chance that Parrish might be wanting to see what the minutes uh, look like at the wing there. I don't know that to be a fact, but I know that with him kind of not getting a full recruitment his first time around, I think he only had three or four offers, and him finally getting a chance to be kind of a well-sought-after prospect this is his chance to kind of maybe do his due diligence and see everything out. And uh, there's not really any rush for him to decide. And if he gets more insight on what Christie's doing, just the more insight he'll have on his own decision. So I think part of that is true. But for anyone saying that this would be an underwhelming pickup, they have to consider what else is out there in the portal. And you made a good point, DK. There's about three or four or five guys that are probably better than him that you could say would come in and start right away. I know Terrence Shannon is one of them, but the amount of guys that you can just plug in in this rotation and can give you like 20 minutes or so like Micah Parrish, they are very few and far between in the portal. And if someone hasn't actually spent time looking in the portal, like I know you have, they're not going to see that. And they just see, okay, somebody from Oakland, really, that's the best Michigan State can do. But that's a really casual take because at the end of the day, this is a dude that had 19 and 8 against Michigan State when they faced off. Um, I want to say that might have been the leading scorer. Okay, no, he he would have led all scorers if not for Jalen Moore. So this is a guy that when the two teams faced off against each other was one of the most impressive players and was an all-Horizon League uh, defensive uh, team mentioned. So this is a dude that I don't know if you could do much better than, and if Michigan State gets him and you put into context that they only have nine scholarship guys on the roster right now, and you'd probably be better than what Christie gave the team last year, like you said, this is definitely a good pickup if they were to go ahead and make that happen. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of in between. I, uh, I think Parrish is a take based on where Michigan State is currently at. Uh, I also think like from the film that I've watched, and a lot of it is what DK has either sent to me or has published, 
But from what I've seen on Parrish, like the things that he does well on a basketball court are things that will translate across levels. Like it's not a thing where like, it, you know, we have to worry about his speed or his athleticism concerns or his ability to put the ball on the floor at the Big Ten level compared to the Horizon League level. Like he basically shoots open shots, finishes at the rim in transition and is a really high level defender, at least at that level. Like the only thing that I would question translating up to the Big Ten would be the defensive side. But all his intangibles physically map like they would. So I I don't know. He's a take because he's better than nobody. And if you look at Michigan State's roster right now, <laughs> that's the alternative, right? I do think it's fair to debate, like, are there better options? One name, uh, I think, DK, you'll, you'll say positionally this is different, but Keon Brooks is a name that just hit the portal. Michigan State uh, originally recruited him out of high school. He played three years at Kentucky. He was a small forward out of high school. I think people view him as a power forward now, but he's kind of a stretch power forward. Like there are some higher pedigree wing types out there that Michigan State has ties to. But like I said, if you're looking for a role guy, Micah Parrish is a very good one. Yeah, I I would say two things to that. Like Keon Brooks, first and foremost, uh, I'm just going to pull up his numbers real quick. Like, over three years now, he shot 23.4% from three. So he's not a small forward to me. He he can't play on the wing if you're going to shoot that poorly. Great athlete. I think a pretty good defender. Decent around the rim finishing. Um, Like you said, a guy that Michigan State recruited. You have Malik Hall. If you look at kind of the numbers and the efficiency across the board, he was better in basically every category. It just doesn't probably make 100%. They need a guy that can actually shoot the three and play some defense. I think that that's the two primary needs that you could fill. Michigan State run a ton of stuff for the wings last year. Um, I think partially that's because that's how they sold Max Christie on coming to Michigan State, that he was going to have the ball in his hands more, that he was going to be able to get a bunch of action. And I think it's a situation where um, you know, 17.7 field goal attempts between Gabe Brown and Max Christie are going out the door. And I think a lot of that's going to be end up being replaced by a lot more pick-and-roll decisions by the point guards. We, we kind of saw that towards the end of last year, particularly in that Purdue game, where Walker ends up rolling his ankle, then Hogard does it, but he comes back. And they kind of just let Hogard do his thing in the pick-and-roll and let him operate. I think that as the trust was gained more towards the end of the year, we kind of return more towards what we saw with Cassius Winston, where we're just going to see a bunch of – Uh, high screen and roll stuff. Now that you have Jackson Kohler in the fold, you can kind of hit him on that short roll because he's a pretty good facilitator. He's a guy that can make a couple decisions with the ball. So I I think that we're going to see maybe more a reversion back to playing through the point guard and not so much the wing. So I think, again, when you add a guy like Parrish, what is his role going to be? It's not going to be a guy that's taking 10 shots a game like, you know, Christie and Brown were. I think it's going to be more a situation where he's going to have his catch and shoot opportunities. He has the ability to have a little bit of a post up game. If he finds the rice mismatch, he's a decent guy ducking in. He gets himself to the free throw line pretty well where he shot 80%. 
I just think it's a solid role where if he comes in and plays 25 minutes per game, you're still giving room to Pierre Brooks to grow. And really, you probably need to take a hard look and see what you have in Pierre Brooks because if you don't, then they really need to be extremely aggressive uh, in adding like a veteran wing again uh, coming into the next season because I think that there's a lot to like about the guard play. If you shore up that wing position and you shore up that center position, like there's a good core that within the next two years can compete for a Big Ten title and make a real run. You just have to you have to have some of the guys develop along. And I, I like the idea of a guy like Parrish where yes, he probably would end up as the starter, but Pierre Brooks has an opportunity to be able to earn 15 to 18 minutes per game. And so you're providing some competition at the spot without necessarily completely engulfing his ability to get on the floor. So I think that there's some there's some nice things to have from a lower mid-major guy coming up that you wouldn't get necessarily from a power five rental that you could have for maybe a year or something like that. We're going to go to the center spot in just a moment. And we just invited Coy up here. I want to talk to Coy in just a second, but uh, one thing that popped in my head as you were kind of going through that DK is like, here's a fear that I have on the way both Michigan and Michigan state have sort of played the portal game the last few years. Uh, I put a bunch of stuff up on our channel over the weekend. Like I'm critical of the way Michigan's handled the point guard spot over the last three seasons. And uh, look, a lot of people have pointed like they got good play from Mike Smith. They got good play from Devontae Jones. Like, yeah, they were fine. Neither of those guys were all conference guards in the Big Ten. Last year, Michigan was a bubble team and Devontae Jones was the second best player on the roster. And you know, I don't know that Frankie Collins was going to be a higher ceiling guy for Michigan. I think he has the potential to certainly be higher ceiling than a guy like Jalen Llewellyn from Princeton. But like what I'm told of why, okay, it's good they got Jalen Llewellyn. Well, he's a high floor guy and he can do a lot of the things Devontae Jones did. Okay. Like if Michigan's going to compete for championships, they need better than that at that position. And I think that sort of applies to Michigan state too. Like you sort of fell down the standings last year, a couple straight years of of not making a deep run in March. And now it's like, well, Max Christie was really bad last year, but based on the options in the portal, we're going to get a guy who at least can mimic what Max Christie did. And I think like that, that's a problem. I feel like from the outside looking in, I've identified with both Michigan and Michigan state right now, like in this portal era, if you're not going out and getting impact guys at spots in big roles, you're falling behind because other teams are going to do it. And Illinois is another team who is attempting to do that and did land Terrence Shannon. Uh, It's going to be fascinating to watch play out because we know Izzo has been, you know, not the most, uh, I guess, active in the portal to use a word. And Michigan has their own issues with admissions and academically with who they can go after in the portal. So kind of puts them both in bad spots relative to teams that could really compete for national championships. Coy, uh, what's going on, man? How you doing? Doing good. Thanks for having me up. Um, first thing I wanted to comment on and my thought about all this Michigan State transfer portal situation is how bad of a spot they put themselves in by taking really small high school classes. Um, I do think Izzo's going to have to rethink how he approaches uh, high school recruiting and casting a bit of a wider net so you don't find yourself in a situation where you're trying to replace, find impact guys that can be primary options and searching for depth in the portal at the exact same time. Uh, And hopefully he can find a way to get that more out of the high school ranks. 
I think to a certain degree, you're not wrong. Um, he, you know, he missed and the, the big class that he's taken the last few years in 2018 was, was unfortunately a miss, you know, outside of Aaron Henry, you got, you know, three quarters of a season from Gabe Brown, maybe a half a one from Marcus Bingham. And then the other two were down transfers. So I really think it starts in some of the issues that Michigan State has had the last couple of years. It really kind of starts and ends with that 2018 class. Uh, that one just kind of fell on the wayside and you didn't quite maximize what you needed to out of that. And, you know, as a result, that that kind of set you back a little bit in the cycle. So I, obviously the 2021 class, I was extremely high on, and now we're not going to get two years under Max Christie, which I think everyone thought coming in that that was a possibility. So it remains to be seen the leap that Aikens is going to make and what Pierre Brooks ends up becoming. I like the start for 2023. I think Jeremy Fears is a dog. I know he's a little undersized. He's got to still work on the shot, but I think they're, they're in a good spot there. He's a kid that like wants to come here, has the same type of – mentality as we've seen over the years is a tough-minded defensive kid that plays hard I think he's been a great recruiter for that class they're in a good spot with Xavier Booker who I think that they absolutely need to land I, I can't emphasize enough how many eggs are in that basket they finally expanded the board to a couple other wings Devin Royal and, and Scotty Middleton I think if they could have a you know a class of a point guard wing and a big front court player an athletic front court player like like Xavier Booker if you end up landing one of the wings with Fears and Booker, I think that's a pretty nice class to stack on it. Um, but this past one, again, was maybe a little bit shy. He missed on Isaac Trout. He missed on uh, – who am I thinking of? Is Isaac Trout. Who else did they miss on in this Ty, one? Ty Rogers. Yeah, Ty Rogers. Thank you. Yes. So you missed on two guys that probably could have contributed this year, so that one sets you back. Um, they, they've just always been a little bit more exclusive with the offering – I agree that I'd like to see them expand the net a little bit wider, but this is just, that's not really how he's ever operated. And unfortunately when the talent and actually the state of Michigan has been a little bit on the decline, we haven't quite seen it. A lot of the kids are leaving the state to go play elsewhere because of the antiquated rules. Uh, it certainly affects the ability to be able to consistently stack classes. And that's kind of been the issue. So I agree with you kind of the root causes some of the high school recruiting, but I like this class coming in, Trey Holloman and Jackson Kohler. I like, obviously, the last one. And I think if he can stack a nice class for 2023 and add a couple pieces that are capable of contributing to what would potentially be as upperclassmen on the roster, maybe not this year. It still could be a struggle, maybe more of a middle-pack team. But if they find a way to be able to add like a guy like Booker or Royal Middleton on top of Fears, they're able to retain Aikens and you come into it where it's, you know, Hogard, Aikens, you have a couple wing options. Hopefully either Parrish is on it and he's playing well or Pierre Brooks takes a step. You got another guy. Maybe you can retain Hall for a fifth year, and then you have a guy like Booker along to go with the second year of Kohler. Um, I, there, there's some nice pieces there that are building towards something. It's just like uh, after two years in a row, it's a little difficult to not be frustrated with, not being more aggressive to try to upgrade the team heading into this next season. And I think that that's where a lot of the frustration lies with the fan base and, and it's well-deserved. I mean, two years subpar is, is, you know, a blip on the radar, but three years to me begins to, to start having more of a trend and the trajectory hasn't been great. 
So uh, it's it's disappointing that they haven't been more aggressive in the portal, unfortunately. That's kind of what makes it a little more complicated is as frustrating as Izzo's approach to the portal and even NIL is, is that, like you just said, 2021, we like that class. Uh, I'm extremely high on Aikens. Um, I think Pierre is going to be good his junior and senior years, and Max kind of being impatient is going to damper what the overall outcome of that class is going to be. But I kind of trust my evaluation on what he would have been had he stayed. So I guess just from a recruiting standpoint, you can't knock his out for that class at all. And then 2022, yeah, they missed on Shoot and Rogers, but the way they got Kohler there at the end of that class is some of the best last minute work that Izzo has done in a long time. And then I'm a big fan of Trey Holloman, lengthy, uh, can guard, he's athletic, has vision. Uh, so those two classes I, I really like. And then 2023 is off to a better start than 2022. Obviously you have to actually land Booker in order to capitalize on the momentum, but you have Fears, who's a top 30 point guard in that borderline five-star range. I don't think you'll ever get that fifth star. Shooting is too much of a weakness. But you kind of have um, two wings that they just offered, one with those Sunrise Christian ties uh, in Scotty Middleton, and then you have Devin Royal. So I think this might be a three-year stretch where Izzo stacked the classes better than he has in a long, long time. So while his portal and NIL approach is almost unforgivable, his recruiting is at a level that's higher than it's been in years. So that's just what makes this whole discussion about is Izzo finished that much more complicated because on one side, he's still hitting his marks on the other side. It's very disappointing. So that's the thing that I think maybe from an outsider looks a little bit different. You know, you talk about how much you like this class. It only has two players in it. You know, the way that this, this world we live in works now is, you know, Trey Holloman might be in the portal next year. And all of a sudden, you've got a class with one guy remaining, and Jackson Kohler. You know, I think he seems pretty bought in, and I, and I don't know Trey Holland, I don't know anything about him. But, you know, just the world that we live in, two two guy classes aren't going to get it done. Um, you just because there's just such high turnover rate on rosters year in and year out. You might love what you've accomplished, but you've got to be looking to retain more guys than just one or two each season, I would say. They yeah. second place just, the Isaac Trout, Jaden Shute, and Ty Rogers thing, right? So they're right there. You land one of those kids in the class looks a little bit different. To me, I don't – you know, I would like the board to be a little bit bigger, but they had a relatively wider board for that position, for filling that 3-4 spot. So in some years, I, I agree with you, but in this, they actually had a couple targets. They were right in the mix for these kids late, and they ended up going elsewhere – I don't really want to take a kid and reach in a spot for somebody. That's kind of what they did with Julius Marble when they missed on Stewart and they missed on um, that kid from Duke. I can't think of his name off the top of my head right Carey. now. Yeah, thank you, Vernon Carey. So it's a situation where they reached on Julius Marble and we were probably going to end up having like a, a starting center that wasn't really capable of playing the starting center spot. I mean, maybe we're already going to be there anyway this year, so we'll see what happens there. But – I don't really necessarily like reaching after you miss on some of your like plan A and B guys, right? They had a couple in this class. They ended up, you know, swinging, getting very close and missing. I don't really see like adding a 150 ranked kid or the 200 level kid, like a Julius Marble to just counteract that. 
I, I would rather them, again, try to be a little bit more aggressive and fill it in the portal. Right. Be, you miss you miss on a kid like that. If you end up having a kid like Micah Parrish come in because Christy, you know, Christy ends up leaving early, I would rather have a kid that's played a couple of years of college basketball and you have some film and you know what he's going to be than reaching on a kid that maybe is not 100% power conference ready and is going to be in a position where – you're not sure what you're going to get and maybe has to transfer down, I guess. I agree. I, especially with kind of like bat, football recruiting is really my forte. And Mel Tucker, if he starts losing on some guys in December, closer to signing day, he he'll sign 18 guys. He'll bank those scholarships and he'll just use them in the portal a few weeks later. So I think that's the key, but the issue is not using them in the portal. So I, I'm with you there, DK. I don't think he needs to take larger classes. He simply needs to change his approach in the portal. So it's it's a lot to ask for, but I, I don't know if the answer is also reaching for guys after you miss on Rodgers and shoot. Yeah, I I agree with a lot of what's been said here. Uh, I, I think a lot of it just comes down to he needs to get more active in the portal, <laughs> to be honest. And look, Kohler, I absolutely love the kid. I want to pivot and talk center stuff quickly. I think we got probably like 10 minutes left and then I'll wrap here. Um, but I... I, the one thing I'd push back on what you said, Justin, is I, I don't think that Izzo's been recruiting better than he has in years. And I think that just comes down to the fact that he's not getting his top tier of targets, right? Like, he deserves a ton of credit for Kohler, but at the end of the day, like, he didn't land any of his tier A targets. Right. I, I should clarify. Yeah, I don't think I don't think he's recruiting better than he has in years. I think he'll have a more consistent three-year stretch than he's had in years. And that 2018 class, totally missing the mark is what kind of dampens his 2016 and 17 classes and kind of making that a three-year run. So I guess what I should have said is he'll have three classes in a row where, at least for now, who knows how it ends up being, but on paper should be his most consistent recruiting stretch in a while. Yeah, that makes sense. Xavier Booker, big deal. All right, let's go to uh, the center spot. So, DK, you've been engrossed in some, uh, some back and forth over the last week. I said this could potentially be a line in the sand moment with the Michigan State fan base. I think a lot of Michigan State fans uh, kind of view me as just like a provocateur, especially when I'm doing content with Carter and I'm actively sort of enjoying his demise and how heartbroken he is over things. But I've just like flat out said that if they don't go out and get a center, like that should be an early indication to everyone in the Michigan State fan base that Tom Izzo is toast. And... I, I don't know that people are ever going to say it as explicitly as I have on that, but I think there are some segments of the fan base that sort of agree with me on that. Uh, right now, as it stands, we don't know of any public targets at the center position at all. And Jackson Kohler and Madi Sissoko is the two options at center next season. A third option would be going small ball with Malik Hall and Joey Hauser, potentially. Are you okay with that? And I will pass you the baton. <laughs> Am I okay with that? The answer to that's no, obviously. So, you know, I, I've been extremely vocal the moment that I didn't think Bingham was returning, which was basically towards the end of the active season when we got into the tournament. I just kind of thought that this was it. This is going to be his last run. I think a mutual parting of ways between program and player was likely and maybe for the best, you know, for all parties involved. Um, so when he, you know, ends up hiring an agent, he's he's done for sure. To me, the, the first need and the first 100% flip around would have been like, okay, we've been getting our ass beat on the boards for two years straight. 
our two field goal defense, which was top 10 when Xavier Tillman was, was still on the team dropped a hundred spots. We're, we're like, I think 110 and 118, something like that. The last two years, completely inexcusable. And I think the, the direct looking at it is Michigan state has always made their bread and butter over the years on playing defense, cleaning the glass, getting out and running and, and going from there. That's, that's like the foundational part of it. Well, this, this team, the last couple of years hasn't had any of that. And I think that a large part of that is just the struggle that they've had at the center spot. They had four centers two years ago. They had three this past year. Um, they had some difficulty, you know, again, I don't want to go down the Bingham hole, but it's a two way street between player and program. They didn't see eye to eye and they couldn't ever really get quality play until really, you know, the end stretch. It was nice to see him go out and play the way that he did 26 minutes, you know, 16, 10, uh, a couple steals, a couple blocks, like, that was the best version of Bingham. We got it in the biggest moment against that uh, against the Duke Blue Devils. So it was nice to see him go on his own, but that's not the version of the guy that we got for much of the season, and therein lied the frustration. Now you're about to turn the keys over. I'm a huge Jackson Kohler guy. I think that the more that I've watched him, the more comfortable I am saying that he's going to make an immediate impact on the offensive end. I think that he's probably one of the most skilled bigs that have come you know, just through the ranks in high school the last few years. His footwork is unbelievable. He has a mid-post game. He has a game at the rim. He has a great-looking shot in the pick and pop. I, I think that there's a lot, a lot to like. Defensively, there is some athletic, both vertical and lateral limitations, and, and that's not saying something. If he was as skilled as he was and he was athletic – He'd be a one-and-done type kid. So the benefit of him being a little bit slower and not as athletic is the fact that you're probably going to get four years out of him. And so while there's a benefit there, you also look on the other side of the ball and say, okay, we've been getting beat up on the boards. We haven't really had a center that's really held down the middle of the paint. All respect to Jackson Kohler, who, again, I think you can run offense through and be a very, very good player for you. He's not going to really be your defensive anchor, particularly year one. Can he eventually get to a spot where he's a lot more serviceable on that end? Yes, absolutely. Do I think that it's going to happen year one? No. And so who is his backup now? Matty Sissoko, the guy who played less minutes as a sophomore with one less player at the position than he did in freshman year. I think that that's extremely alarming. And while I was pretty high on Matty coming in, I thought that he just had all the physical tools he hasn't been able to put it all together, and I don't think that there was any indication from last year where he got any sort of extended run where you feel comfortable with him being the backup. Let's just say, God forbid, Jackson Kohler rolls his ankle and he's out for two or three weeks with a bad ankle sprain. Are we getting 40 minutes of Matty Sissoko and, and Joey Hauser at the center spot? That's absolutely atrocious, and I just don't understand from Izzo's perspective a guy who's built a foundation on defensive toughness and rebounding, and this is the way that Michigan State basketball is, are we just going to ignore what we've watched the last two years and roll the dice on Matty Sissoko taking a huge leap and Jackson Kohler being ready to play 25 minutes per game? Like, I, I just don't understand the gamble and the risk, particularly given the way the last two seasons go, right? Say you know they made an Elite Eight run or some shit last year, Okay, then there's something in the bank that you can say like, okay, I put the pieces together. We're building again towards next year. But when you miss, when you miss entering the second weekend year after year, 
some of that pressure starts building up. You can't finish middle of the pack in the Big Ten and not make the second weekend year in and year out and say that you have it all figured out. So when I put that post up yesterday and I just had half the fan base just like just maybe it's not half, but I think a good portion agrees with me. And there's a portion of the fan base that is just like the Izzo is a Hall of Famer. Trust Izzo. We should always trust Izzo. And my counterpoint to that would be I do trust him. I think that what we saw in that Duke game was him squeezing every less drop of talent out of the team that was on the floor. We didn't see that for long stretches in the team in the season, but he found it in the postseason and done it. There's Izzo is a very good coach. He's a very good player developer. But if you don't have the talent on the roster, what can you do? And and he's in charge of that, right? He's the only person that can control who's on the roster. So to enter the season with the center spot being a mess the third year in a row and to not have a clear guy that can defend and rebound at that position to me, as I said, I, I just think it's roster malpractice. You can't you can't not fill that spot um, without just having some serious questions about where this whole thing is going. I, I, I don't disagree. Yeah, you you 100% nailed it. Everybody needs to trust Tom Izzo to the max as an in-game coach and to maximize the ability of what his players on his roster can do as a cohesive unit into success. He's always been great at that. He always will be great at that. He's not right now doing a good job building rosters, and that's been a thing for a couple years now. And the truth is the way you build rosters in today's era of college basketball is wildly different from what it was when Tom Izzo started and for the first two decades of his career. And that takes a lot of adjustment on the fly. That takes a lot of, you know, creative changes. Being willing to not be so stubborn in your ways, I think, would be a major benefit to any coach trying to navigate this era. But that's just not Tom Izzo. So... It leaves him in a very interesting spot. Uh, I'm very excited about Jackson Kohler. I, I feel like a lot of the frustration with the center spot and the way the staff is handling it has reflected publicly in ways where people perceive it as not being excited about Kohler. I could not be more excited for Kohler. I Legitimately, I think you have to go back to Jaron Jackson for a recruit I've been as excited about, and that includes Max Christie last year. Uh, Kohler, to me has everything you could possibly want on the offensive end from a high school player and more like he's doing some stuff in the Iverson classic that I don't recall any big doing in the last few years, like hesitation moves off the dribble stuff, like just the way he scores so creatively, it's incredibly fun to watch and it's incredibly impressive. My fears with just rolling with Kohler are the fact that he's six, nine two fifty is what he's listed at. On like, a good day. I bet he's closer to six eight if I had to take a guess. And that's that like I've seen some couldn't Kohler just do what Hunter Dickinson did as a freshman? Like I mean, theoretically, except Hunter was seven one and a lot stronger and you know, not as horrible defensively. And Hunter started at center on a team with three NBA players on it around him. So it, it's gonna be interesting because I, I think if Kohler plays a twenty five minute a game role, he's gonna score double digits, no problem. But I think even the worst centers in the conference would probably score double digits on him. And, you know, the only other option being Sissoko should be pretty terrifying because he just hasn't been capable of playing four minutes a game, let alone 10 plus off the bench. I I just what are you going to get from Maddie? You hope that the leap is there 
but if it's not this season, then maybe it's just, it's not in the cards for him to be playing at this level. And that's difficult to say you root for the kid. His story is absolutely unbelievable. You know, coming from Africa, not literally not being able to read and write uh, before he got here and the journey that he has has been unbelievable. But if we're just speaking from a strictly basketball perspective, like he's flashed a little bit here and there. I mean, the Michigan game when they were getting blowout, he had some nice minutes in crunch time where he had like a 6-0 run himself or whatever, and he flashed a little bit more in the paint. But uh, he just hasn't looked comfortable on either side of the floor for long stretches. And like banking on him making a big leap should should be pretty terrifying. You just have to get some insurance. I'm not even asking at this point for a guy that can come in and play 25 minutes per game and as a starter. Just give me a 6'10", 250-pound body that can rebound and play a little defense and is just some insurance in the off chance that A, somebody gets injured, B, Maddie is not capable and ready to play uh, you know, the 15 minutes, which he's going to be basically asked to do, and C, if Kohler's not 100% ready, which we just don't know. I, I Like you said, I think offensively he's going to be there. But what is he going to give you on the defensive end? I, I think that you're almost stringing him out a little bit to put that type of pressure on him and asking him to guard a guy like Hunter Dickinson or Zach Eady or TJD for like 30 minutes per game. Like it's not going to go very well. And I, I just don't understand why Michigan State would put him in that position. It doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, it's just, like, the most frustrating part of it is, like, right after what Joey Brunk did to Michigan State at the Value City Center, if that's what it's still named, how in the world do you not tamper the very next day to get a center that is a big body and can rebound and defend? That's that's just how I kind of look at it. Is That was at the very, very end of the season. That was against a dude that, gave, that averaged two points per game, and he just gave you bucket after bucket, and their whole entire – half-filled arena was giving a standing ovation every time he touched it and to have that happen to you and not go to every length to make sure it never happens again it's just mind-boggling to me there's a guy who just committed to old miss i'm gonna butcher his last name but it's like theo akulaba or something like that and he came down for the last two he committed yesterday it was old miss in iowa he's 6 255 pounds rim protector and a lob finisher not a guy that needs to touch the ball could come in and play like 18 20 minutes per game and just give you a hard time he came from like louisiana something like that like that would be the perfect guy somebody who's a little bit more athletic who has the requisite size to create some deterrence for some of the better bigs in the conference and to just give you a nice balance at the position and the fact that michigan state doesn't even like look or have any interest in a guy like that blows my mind it just absolutely blows my mind and maybe they're doing something behind the scenes and we're just they're keeping it close to the vest maybe they actually are investigating it but from the public outward appearance the idea that maybe you're going to roll into the season with like a 10 out of the 13 scholarships filled and not having another center would be it would just be baffling after the way that the last two seasons are go and i really think it would be indefensible from the from the program standpoint, from the staff standpoint. Yeah, it's the line in the sand moment. I'm telling you, if he really rolls with just those two at center, it's going to be a divisive official stance moment for the fan base. But who knows? I Like that team probably still finds a way to make the tournament. I just don't think they advance far in that tournament. But 
so much could change. Uh, and so many young guys could still get better. Like if this is officially the AJ Hogard keys year, who knows how good he could potentially be. We'll see. Uh, Carter's in the comments begging for Benjamin Verdonsk from Illinois. Card, I have your best interest at heart, man. Go take a walk. Go get a glass of water. You didn't mean that. I know you didn't, my bud. It's going to be okay. Uh, there's a lot of time left in this offseason, as a lot of people have told me. Things can change very quickly. We'll see what happens. Uh, we got roughly two minutes left before I'll wrap the room. If anybody listening has any questions or wants to pop up real quick, feel free. Should be a request. We'll get you guys up here. Uh, Coy, as an Illinois fan, how afraid of Michigan State at this point are you? Because you like you're the team that kind of runs the conference right now, in my opinion. It's a funny way that you put that out there, but um, I don't know how Michigan State beats high quality teams right now. DK said something pretty funny earlier, like, "Oh, the guards in the good spot, but if we shore up wing and shore up center, um, you know, things might look pretty good." I'm like, that's a long way to go on two thirds of the of the lineup of the starting five, depending on how you look at it. Um, so Michigan state, I don't know. This is, I think a unique position for Michigan state fans, finding themselves in a true re- rebuilding year, like kind of basically just sitting out on competing for the conference title. I don't know when the last time Michigan state fans felt that way um, in the off season. I mean, did you, okay. Maybe felt that way last year. I didn't think things were going to be so bad for Michigan state uh, at this point. There was a lot more, roster continuity on the roster last year guys that couldn't you know had some had played in games before uh for michigan state and been been high quality i would say i'm not afraid of michigan state at all i think they are looking at like another fifth sixth seventh finish in the big 10 i i kind of disagree with with how far the team is um i don't exactly recall what dk said there that you referenced but if you go with the lineup that i want them to play that's hogard at the one uh, Tyson Walker at the two, who shot like 49% from three last year, but only took 73s for some reason. Um, I think when you play him at the two, he'll be much more free to actually shoot the ball. And then you play Jaden Akins at the three, who I think is going to be the Big Ten most improved player of the year. And then you have Hauser or Hall, whichever one of those are on the court at the time, playing the four. Really the center position being a ginormous question mark is really the only difference here because I'll take those one through four spots against pretty much any team except Illinois and maybe Michigan right now. So it really just comes down to the center spot and Michigan state is a, is a top three team at worst in the big 10, if they get a center. So they're not really that far away. It's just the fact that you don't have a lot of depth. Um, I I guess Micah Parrish kind of solves that and you don't have a center. Yeah. I can't tell you how unscary that roster and that starting five seems to me. (laughs) <laughs> I, I guess you say that, but like Illinois might start a whole brand new roster. I, I get that Sky Clark is talented. He's coming off a torn ACL and he's a freshman and he's going to have some growing pains. So like your guard situation is not exactly, you got a bunch of wings. Now you went and traded like three, four of your guards for a bunch of wings. Like who's the secondary ball handler in this group. Now, Terrence Shannon is more of a catch and shoot like straight line driver. He's not really a guy that you're putting the ball in his hands and creating with. I like RJ Melendez. I'm a big fan of him. I think that he's got ex- extreme upside. And I think he's going to make a huge sophomore leap. Um, so like you have a couple nice wings. I'm not a Coleman Hawkins guy myself. I think he's truthfully a bum. I don't really like him at all. Uh, I think you'd be better off playing like a Luke Goody, to be honest with you, rather than Coleman Hawkins. 
Hawkins thinks that he's a perimeter player. He shot below 30% both years. He's an okay rebounder, and he doesn't really give you any toughness, so I'm not really sure what that role is. And then the center spot, I think that guy from Baylor is going to be pretty good, but that's a little bit of a question mark. Um, you know, Illinois could could have an extreme amount of talent, but seeing if that talent all fits in one spot is exactly what Michigan just went through last year. Probably Michigan was still the most talented team in the Big Ten last season, and they didn't put it all together. So I, I think Illinois has Texas. a talent spot. Yeah, exactly. Texas is a perfect example. If you start four or five new guys and you're grabbing a couple transfers here and there, yes, you're going to have more talent, but how does that talent all come together on the roster? And truthfully, Illinois, it doesn't really matter what they do in the Big Ten the last few years. Your guys' burden is you need to make it to the second weekend, and you got to just break through that. I feel like, to a certain degree, Illinois basketball has turned a little bit into Michigan football, where every offseason we're just hearing, and I know that they won the Big Ten last year. I'm saying traditionally how it's been for the last decade, where it feels like every Illinois fan kind of feels like, oh, this is the year for a deep tournament run. We just had Io DeSumo for a couple of years. You had Kofi Coburn. Like you had the roster last year. And I, I know that you kind of ran into some terrible seeding again, um, having played some of the teams you have at the tournament. Like Illinois needs to make it out of the, the second weekend before really anything kind of comes off for them. So yes, they can win some of the, the games and they've been the most successful team the last few years in the conference. But none of that really matters, I think, from a fan base perspective, from your guys' look, unless they actually do something in the tournament. Sure, but the conversation was how scary is Michigan State, not how good Illinois is, right? And I think simply you look at that Michigan State roster and you're like, oh, there's two decent to good guards, and that feels like about it. You know, nobody's really scared of the positions three through five right now that Michigan State has. But you have to to answer the question of how scary is Michigan State, you do have to look at the absolute best teams on Michigan State's schedule and compare how they stack up. And I think – a lack of continuity and kind of having a lot of transfers starting kind of like how Texas had last year. I think that might kind of dampen some of the excitement around Illinois. I think I'd rather have Illinois offseason than Michigan States. There's no question about that. But if you also look at like who the big 10 lost, like you just look at who left from the big 10, all first team, all second team, third team, honorable mentions like Michigan state. Um, I guess we'll never know, but I would say that if Michigan state would have gotten somebody like Johnny broom, uh, not even like an elite center, just somebody that is a good center and you don't get anybody else. You don't, Christy doesn't come back in your role with those one through four. I, I, I would have taken you up on pretty much any bet you would have given me about those one through five guys exceeding expectations, but they can't do it without a center. So it's a moot point. Yeah. It's, it's going to be an interesting season next year because like the, the big dog in the Big Ten might legitimately be Indiana, which, like, I am not afraid of Indiana at all as a program or with Mike Woodson as coach. Like, the man literally, like, misses nap time to go to games. But they have the most talent on the roster right now. And there's a long offseason left. A lot can change. Michigan could get better. Illinois can continue to get better. Purdue could get better. I thought Purdue was going to get Nigel Pack. And if they did, they might have been the Big Ten favorite. But – I, for a conference that struggled so much in March the last two seasons, I don't see that getting better. I think this is a down year. So, like, it, it's funny to sort of talk about Michigan State in context with this because if, if we're comparing Michigan State to, like, teams in the Big Ten last year, 
it'd be like red flag, red flag, red flag. But teams on the schedule to Justin's point next year, like, eh, I'm not really afraid of anyone in this conference. So even though we can point out problems, like there's not going to be any elite teams. Like who who are the top four teams heading into next year? Say Michigan State doesn't add a center. They only add, let's say they get Micah Parrish. And I know Michigan's roster is still, you know, flexing some some turnover or whatever. Let's just say maybe they get Diabate stays in the draft. Houston comes back. They probably got to add another guard at some point. I don't know what kind of quality guard that's going to be. That's It's dwindling for terms of like starting level guys that are from major conferences. So I think it's it's going to be more of a guy like Lewin or whatever. But like Illinois, Michigan, then then where do you go? Like who's the third best team? Like are you going to say Ohio State is? I go uh, I go Illinois, Indiana, Purdue, and uh, why Purdue? They don't even have a fucking guard. They don't have either of the two guards. Who Brandon Newman's going to start at the guard spot? Who's I their think, wing? Because I I think they're actively trying to get a guard. It's not like they're sitting and right. just not going to get a center. Like I, Matt Painter's going to end up getting some guard. Because there's literally no no guards on the roster though, right? That's part of the issue. There's there's really not any guard. I like Ethan Morton. Like like Brandon Newman, those are the guys you're rolling. Ethan Morton, Ethan Morton and Brandon Newman were solid for the record, but no, I mean I like I, I think Zach Eady's next to and Zach Eady in a bigger role can be what I think a lot of people don't think he can be. I like Caleb First a lot. Uh I like Mason Gillis a lot. Like they got dudes. They literally just need one high usage guard and the rest of that roster is ready to go. You just you just described like a bunch of dudes who average six points per game though, right? Like <laughs> Like I know you said they have some dudes, but like the top of that roster. Like okay, did you expect any of those dudes to score 15 a game next to Jaden Ivey and Travion Williams, who literally were fighting each other for the ball every single game? Right, I get, I get that, but like it's still like everything's going to be through the post. Like, just what guy do you like on this roster? Like Brandon Newman played 12 and a half minutes last season. I think it was less than the season before. Like I like Caleb first, and I like Zach Eady. Like, like first is a four. Mason Gillis is a four. So there's there's a little bit of a like a log jam there. Isaiah Thompson left, right? Eric Hunter left. Like, who are the guards on the roster? There's no way to me. Even if Michigan State didn't add anybody, I I I know Zach Eady is very good. I would have a really hard time putting Purdue over. Just the guard play is non-existent. I mean, but that's again, they've been a finalist with the best guards in the portal. So I'm doing yeah, a and pack went somewhere else. Who are they on right now that that's like it looks like a serious ad that they can make? Just being in the in the conversation with it. I understand that they've been pursuing it and they've been active. Like what how many good guards are left right now? A lot more than there are wings and Well, I agree with that. I definitely agree with that. But I'm just saying like there's not like there's not like a guy like Pack that can come in and absolutely be like a player of the year candidate in the conference that I think's left. I think there's some good guys, and I think they'll be in on some, but Purdue's roster is, to me, is almost as fluid right now as Michigan State's, if not more. At least a couple of the positions are locked. They don't have a one or a two currently on the roster. That's 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 pretty terrifying. I see. I, I view Purdue in the same spot as Michigan State, except their coaches actively recruiting the best players in the portal at their position of need. They went after Kendrick Davis. They went after Nigel Pack. If they don't end up with a high usage star guard, like I, I don't know what to tell you. It might not happen, and if it doesn't, yeah, they're not top four. But they're trying. Like so, to compare that to Michigan State, who's not trying, makes no sense to me. 
Right, but if you if you're saying that guard play is certainly a huge indicator of where someone's going for the roster, like I know we've kind of gone back and forth over over the years on this, but Michigan State's going to have top two or three guard play next season. I, even if nobody hits like a hundred percent of their ceiling, I just like what's there. Like the whole guard Walker Aikens combo for me is as good as anyone else's in the conference as it currently stands. Like maybe you could argue that Illinois has more upside. I don't have an, an issue with that. I think Epps is going to be a guy and they have a couple guys. There's no doubt about that, but I, I think at least in terms of established guys and guys that I think are capable of taking another step forward, like that at least is a little bit of a comforting and, I guess I could give you the Indiana being in there, at least from a talent perspective, but they kind of have a similar situation with the guards too, where Xavier Johnson was very good towards the end of the season. There's no doubt about that. I like Tamar Bates, but I'm not like super crazy. Is Shafino a guy that comes in and immediately is capable of starting and playing 30 minutes per game? That could change the outlook too. Um, but again, they have a lot of question marks there too, even if the talent is maybe a little bit uh, better than I guess Michigan State's. I, I just think... I think when you rely on freshmen, you rely on completely brand new guys to come in and run it, that there's always going to be uh, some flexibility and some fluctuation in what you're actually going to get on the floor. Yeah, that's fair. The The Michigan State backcourt conversation could be a whole other room someday. So I won't, <laughs> that's true. I, I won't nosedive that, but I like I, I think Michigan State fans think highly, more highly of the backcourt than other Big Ten fans would say. It's a good backcourt. A.J. Hogard's great. Uh, but yeah, well, there's a lot to digest here. But if let's just say Purdue got like a Malachi Smith or a Tyrese Hunter, which is the type of impact guy I'm assuming they're going to get based on the guys they're recruiting, I love that roster. Uh, okay, I wanna we're gonna wrap in just a minute. I did want to get one question somebody asked in the comments. Uh, it was about Michigan. Michael said, "How good can Jet Howard be at Michigan?" I'm scarred by the freshman last year right now, but everything I know about Jet tells me he can be very good. He just won MVP at the Iverson Classic, the same event that Jackson Kohler looked like the best big man at. The question to me is, is he a three or is he a two? I was texting DK about this a couple of days ago. You, you seem to think he might be able to play some guard, which would be a great development for Michigan because right now they need 80 minutes from Jalen Llewellyn and Kobe Bufkin and Doug McDaniel. So they either got to get someone from the portal or one of these guys and Jets the best fit needs to be a 30-minute guy at the two. Uh, I, I would be a lot more comfortable if he could play a six man role this year, kind of like what Zach Irvin did early at Michigan, where, you know, he was a 15, 20 minute a game gunner off the bench. I think that'd be a great role for him. If he has to play 30, 35 minutes, especially at the two, I'm a little skeptical of what he could do there, but I mean, the pedigree's there. He can do more off the dribble than Houston can. Uh, and the shot looks really, really nice. So DK, do you want to add any color there based on what you saw from the Iverson stuff? Yeah, I think I think Jet has a chance to uh, potentially win Rookie of the Year in the Big Ten Conference. I was really, really surprised about his ability to score in the in-between game. I think that's the hardest thing for younger players. You know, you see him shoot the three, you see him be able to score at the rim, but to have the in-between game, he's got kind of like a little floater uh, that he likes to go to when he gets into the mid-range, and he hit that pretty consistently. Uh, I've I've had some eyes on him just over this last season. I think honestly, he he's maybe could be the best pro on Michigan's roster heading into this next year. I would be surprised if he's lo there longer than two years. He could even potentially be a one and done type guy. He just has nice size. He's got a pretty comfortable handle, and he just looks like he kind of plays with a bit of an edge. So 
I think that he probably can play a little bit of the two for Michigan next year. You would obviously like to have um, maybe just a little bit more of some veteran depth somewhere along that, whether it's a guy backing him up or a guy that starts and he can play maybe either the two or the three. Um, we'll have to see again, you know, what Houston's decision does and Diabate does to kind of the roster construction. But I think Jet's a guy that will end up securing a starting spot at some point in the season, if not at the very beginning of it. And I think that he's probably going to be one of Michigan's better players from what I've seen over just the last few times I've watched him. He really liked Kohler's dunk over Terrace Reed. He was the first guy shoving him in that celebration. (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, All right. Well, thank you. We're a little bit over. Appreciate all you guys for popping through. Coy, Justin, DK, always a pleasure. I'll be back here Wednesday, Thursday. Again, I think the time varies, but sometime in the morning to lunchtime. Uh, Carter Elliott's going to join me tomorrow. Everybody's favorite. Maybe he'll announce that he might be returning to Sleepers Media or he's taking his talents elsewhere in the media portal we will find out tomorrow. Uh, and I believe Ant Wright started a room shortly ago, just a few minutes ago on Amani Bates. I don't know what that's about, but I think I'm going to head over there and listen to it. So appreciate you, boys, and have a good rest of your day. Thanks, Greg. Good room. See you, Bob. Thanks.